This is a cutaway view of the tabernacle. And we're studying that in the book of Exodus right now, especially the Ark of the Covenant. We're going to go into all the furniture of the, of the uh, tabernacle. At, I want you to look at this a little bit if you can with the camera. We'll try, I have to buy a new computer this coming year because my computer is still Windows 7 and it's wore out, about like me. And uh, I hope to get a new camera that will have a higher definition also. These are things that are very expensive, and uh, but we're going to try to do it to make the classes better. This cutaway view of the tabernacle will give you a little bit of an idea about the Ark of the Covenant and the layout of the tabernacle. I don't have a way to leave it up here. Right now I've got too many books. We're doing three or four different uh, uh, series of messages at the same time. I want to read to you. I referred to this in the last message about where the Ark of the Covenant is. There's one thing that has really hurt Christianity so much and Christendom is that people with these far-fetched ideas. My, uh, one of my teachers in the seminary, I went to seminary basically 12 years, and it wasn't enough. He told me if you study the languages of the Bible, Greek and Hebrew, and English also, and a few other ones to facilitate some of the writings of the commentators in the past, that uh, you're only equipped somewhat. Just equipped. You have got the license to learn. And after more than 50 years of preaching, I just have the license to learn. That's what I've got. I hope that I can give that to you. But Dr. Carl E. Farrar was one of my personal friends and teachers, and he gave many of the books that I have in my library, he gave to me. He would buy one for himself and buy one for me. And he said, Brother Jim, he said, read. Read, study, read. Read everything about the Bible. Read everything in the Bible. Read the languages of the Bible and the backgrounds of the Bible. And one of the books, I know a lot of people don't uh, know about the, the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha was a Bible, was a set of books that was in the uh, King James Version of the Bible. Uh, King James uh, declared that if anyone ever printed a King James version of the Bible without the Apocrypha in it, they would be killed, executed. Now, <clears throat> I don't read from the King James Bible much because it is a uh, very biased Bible. It's made for the Church of England. The King James Bible teaches baptismal regeneration. It teaches uh, baptism by nothing because it just says baptism. It won't tell you that it's immersion. The Catholic Church uh, was sprinkling and the Church of England was sprinkling. The Church of England basically came out of the Catholic Church. 
and so took all their ordinances and everything with them. Henry VIII wanted to marry little Anne Bolin and get rid of his wife that was forced upon him. Uh, and anyway, that wasn't enough. He ended up uh, divorcing the Catholic Church out of England and confiscating all their properties. And anyone that would not go along with him, any of the priests that just go back to Rome or Spain or wherever they wanted to go, they were no longer welcome in England. There were many Church of England people that were going into the Baptist ranks. And, uh, of course, the Catholics did not, they were not allowed to read the Bible at all. And this is going into a lot of these messages here. They weren't allowed to read the Bible at all because the, the, the uh, ordinances of the Catholic Church were totally contrary to the Bible. The Church of England kind of cleaned some of that up a little bit. The Pope became the King of England, and they weren't uh, they weren't going through all all the rituals of the Catholic Church. Now Henry VIII one time was a defender of the Catholic Church, but when the Pope would not give him a an, a divorce so he could marry Anne Boleyn, he just uh, he pleaded, he begged, he sent emissaries there and etc., etc., and the Pope just said no, and he said, okay, jump in the creek. I'll start my own church. I just confiscated all of your property. I got all the church houses. I got all of the, the jewels and things in these churches, and just go away and go your way, and I'll go mine. Well, later on, by the time of King James' time, uh, they were having a controversy of many there were many Baptists in England and Wales. And they uh, were giving the Church of England a run for their money because they were preaching the Bible. And the Bible makes converts. The Holy Spirit through the Bible makes converts. They're preaching of the Word. So King James said, we're going uh, we're gonna to create our own Bible. We uh, They didn't really... Uh, look into the original manuscripts too much. They had gone with the uh, Stevens text, which is called the Textus Receptus, which is really a, a real ex an exaggeration. It wasn't. It was a first printed Greek Testament, and uh, it didn't. When they they didn't do any research basically on the text of the New Testament until Westcott and Hort came out, and then they tried to find out what was there and what wasn't there. Where did all these readings come from, the various readings? And so they put in the Westcott and Hort tax, which a lot of the King James people are lambasting. King James people just need to understand what is the King James Bible? What is the name of the King James Bible? King James of England. Read the preface to it. It is denouncing Baptist. It is denouncing the Pope. It is denouncing the Romish people. It's denouncing those that won't have anything else that was hammered out on their own anvil, it says. That's Baptist. That's not your book, people. That's not your book. It was a book against you. Many Baptists were burned at the stake because they would not accept the King James Bible. Because it's King James's Bible. Okay? Comprehend that? King James's Bible. Now, in the King James Bible, 
I read all the books about the Bible and everything around it, etc., etc., et just like Brother Farrar told me. And I studied intensely from Greek and Hebrew. And one of the things that I did, I read all of the Apocrypha. I read the book of Jasher. I read uh, uh, the book of Enoch. I read everything around and about all of this stuff. And in the Apocrypha, in First and Second Maccabees, is a history or history books of what happened during the period of times. <clears throat> now, we have a lot of people out there propagating that the Ark of the Covenant is under Jerusalem and, and when Jesus was crucified, his blood dripped down to a crack and went and landed on the mercy seat. <clears throat> the Ark of the Covenant is not in Jerusalem. Shock. It's in Jordan. I will read to you a piece of history. The Ark of the Covenant has never been found. There was a facsimile of the Ark of the Covenant, they said, taken into Ethiopia by uh, Sheba, Queen of Sheba. Queen of Sheba. <clears throat> she got pregnant with uh, Solomon and took a facsimile of the Ark of the Covenant and took it to Ethiopia. They're trying to say now that that is the real Ark of the Covenant. It may go all the way back to Solomon, but we're talking about Moses now, not Solomon. And this is what uh, is said about Jeremiah the prophet. You know Jeremiah? That he is a real prophet. You know, we got a lot of so-called prophets today, but Jeremiah is a real prophet. Isaiah was a real prophet. Joel, Amos, Nahum, Micah, Moses, these are all prophets, real prophets. What they said came about without doubt. They met all the qualifications of a prophet. Now let's see what Jeremiah had said. Now it is found in the description of Jeremiah the prophet that he commanded them that went into captivity, and this is Nebuchadnezzar when they came upon Jerusalem, they carried off Jeremiah. I mean, carried off Israel. And here's what Jeremiah is saying about this. That when they went into captivity, he, he told them to take the fire as it has been signified and how that he gave charge to them and they were carried away into captivity. And remember that uh, Daniel and his Meshach and Abednego, Daniel and Meshach and Abednego, and how he gave them the law and that they should not forget the commandments of the Lord and they should not err in their minds at seeing the idols of gold and silver and ornaments of them. And with other such speeches, he exhorted them at, that they would not remove the law from their heart. It was also contained in the same writing how that the prophet being warned by God commanded that the tabernacle in the ark should be accompany him till he came forth to the mountain where Moses went up and saw the inheritance of God and that is Mount Pisgah. Okay, looking down, I've been on that mountain. Looking down, on that mountain someplace is the Ark of the Covenant. That's what it says here. This is history. It's never been found. And when Jeremiah came there, he found a hollow cave. And he carried the tabernacle there and the ark and the altar of incense, 
So he stopped the door, and some of them that followed him came to mark the place, but they could not find it. And when Jeremiah perceived it, he blamed them, saying, The place shall be unknown till God gather together the congregation of the people and receive them unto mercy. And that's Israel. Then the Lord will show these things, and the majesty of the Lord shall appear, and there shall be a cloud as it was showed to Moses. There will be, a, there will be the Shekinah glory over where the Ark of the Covenant is when it's to be found, okay? And he showed it when Solomon prayed, and that place might be sanctified to the, great of, to the glory and great God of heaven. For he treated wisdom in a magnificent manner. Like a wise man, he offered the sacrifice and the dedication and the finishing of the temple. And he's talking about Solomon. So now, according to a history book here that was looked upon for many years with great honor in 1st and 2nd Maccabees, and 1st and 2nd Maccabees in that book tells us that Jeremiah the prophet of God, the one who wrote the book of Jeremiah and Lamentations, that he was warned of God to take the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle and all the furniture and the ashes of the red heifer and put them in that cave. And that God, when he got ready for his people, he's going to put his Shekinah glory over that spot and they will find the Ark of the Covenant that was built in Moses' time. It's not in Ethiopia. It is not in Jerusalem, it's somewhere on that mountain, and I've been near it anyway. That's all I can say. I've been close to this place, evidently. Now let's go back and let's look in the book of Exodus. And we looked at the Ark of the Covenant here in the 25th chapter. I'll go back and read this again. And they shall construct an ark of acacia wood two and a half cubits long, and one and a half cubits wide, and one and a half cubits high. It's three foot nine inches by two foot three inches. And it's, and you shall overlay it with pure gold. Now it's made out of wood. The Ark of the Covenant is a type of Jesus. The Ark of the Covenant is Jesus. The Christ. It is Jehovah. In 1 John 2 and 2, 1 John 2 and 2, it tells us about this very thing. If I can find it now. 1 John 2 and 2. I got there. Now I just got to separate these old worn out pages. My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not send. And if anyone send, we have an advocate. We have a go-between. We have a lawyer. With the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. It said he himself is the mercy seat. The helosmos, helosterion. He is the mercy seat. For our sins, not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Jesus is the mercy seat. Jesus, the mercy seat was a type of him. In Jesus was contained the law when he walked among mankind. He spit forth the law 
out of his very essence. He corrected the, the uh, theologians and the rabbis of his day. The law, the law of God was put in that. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. In that Ark of the Covenant was Aaron's rod which budded. It was a almond rod. And it budded and bloomed. And it was thousands of years old according to the book of Jasher. That rod was thousands of years old, but it came to life just like Jesus came out of the grave. It was a type of the resurrection, the Anastasia, the standing again. You shall overlay it with pure gold. Pure gold is always a type of the divine. Inside and outside you shall overlay it and make it a gold molding around it. Jesus Christ Wood is a type of humanity. Jesus Christ was real wood. He was real humanity. He was our Goel. He was our kinsman redeemer according to Genesis 3.15 and the book of Matthew and the book of Luke gives his genealogy. God lived and breathed and walked among mankind to redeem you and me. And you shall cast four rings around it and fasten them to four feet and two rings shall be on one side of the two rings on the other side. You shall make poles of acacia wood. Again, humanity overlaid with gold. Jesus was humanity, but he was, but he was God. In John 1 and 1, it says, N-R-K ain't ho-logos, kai-ho-logos ain't prostontion, kai-ho-logos ain't theos. Now, in beginning kept on being the word. The word there is a Hebraism for the Jehovah. And the Jehovah kept on being an inseparable part of the Godhead. Jesus was always God. And he was man. He was our kinsman dream. The blood of Jesus was divine. He came from the Father. The body of Jesus came from Mary. part of the human race. The blood of man comes from the Father. The sin nature that is in you and me comes from our fathers, not our mothers. That sin nature is inherited to, through us, through our blood, and when we bring children into the world, the Father in his semen in that woman Life begins with his blood. And that blood contains the corruption, the infection of sin. And you shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put the coals and rings on the side of the ark to carry them with the ark. And the mercy seat, that word there in First John 2 and 2, 2 and 2, he said, Jesus is our holosmos, our holosterion. He is our mercy seat. He is our kafar. He is our atonement. We are atoned for our sins through Jesus, the atonement. You shall make two cherubim of gold. Two cherubim of gold. Make them of hammered work at the end of two ends of the mercy seat. These are the two witnesses that witness our conception, our birth our salvation and our death and carry us to be with the Father. 
I'm looking to see Jesus one of these days. I'm looking to see him. Out there, you all, you all see Jesus one day, either as your judge or your savior, one or the other. Make sure you know the Lord. Have you asked him to save your soul? Have you asked him to forgive you of your sins? Have you laid your heart at his feet? Have you accepted him as your Savior and only Savior and he is the only way you'll ever get to heaven? If you haven't done that, you're undone. He will be your judge. And the cherubim shall have their wings spread upward, covering the mercy seat with their wings and facing one another. And the faces of the cherubim, by the way, this is the word cherubim. And it says the word cherubim or cherub. Satan was of the cherub order of angels. These didn't fall. These are our guardian angels. These are our witnesses that witness everything in our lives. And you shall put the mercy seat upon the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony. That is the word of God. In Jesus was God's word. He spoke it. And there you will meet, I will meet with you from above the mercy seat between the two cherubim which are upon the ark of the testimony, and I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandments for the sons of Israel. As you make the table of acacia wood, two cubits, and one cubit wide and one and a half cubits high, and this is the table of showbread, overlay it with pure gold, and you shall make for it a rim of a handbreadth high, about four inches, four and a half inches high, and you shall make a gold border around the rim of it, and you shall make four rings for it, and put rings on the four corners which are on its feet. And the ring shall be close to the rim and the holiness or the holders for the poles to carry the table. And you shall make the poles of acacia wood, again wood, a type of humanity overlaid with pure gold, divine. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Take, eat this bread. When you eat the bread, it's reminding you of me. This is the table of showbread. This is the table of showbread. Those twelve loaves reminded the priest of the twelve sons of Israel, the twelve tribes. Jesus was from the tribe of Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Verse 29, And you shall make its dishes and its pans and its, and its jars and its bowls and which you pour your libations, you shall make them of pure gold. Everything around is pure gold. Jesus Christ procured our salvation, and Jesus Christ procured our peace with God. Then it said you're going to make a lampstand of pure gold. And this lampstand is going to have six uh, branches going out, six branches going out, three on each side, six the number of man. Jesus was man. The one in the middle, the one in the middle, is number seven, perfection. Jesus was perfection of humanity and the perfection of God in flesh. 
It says six branches shall go out and the cups shall be and you will have oil in the cups. You're going to put oil in the cups, olive oil, this, this purified, sanctified olive oil with wicks in it. And you'll light the wicks and those branches will burn. And in that tabernacle there was no light except that except that candlestick. That's the only light there was in it. In God's churches today, the only light we have is the Holy Spirit. Jesus said he would dwell with all of his church through his eternal spirit. You shall make lamps seven in number. They shall shed light on the space in front of it. And its snuffers, its trays shall be of pure gold. And it shall be made from a talent of gold. With all these utensils, and see that you make them after the pattern which I showed you in the mountain. What a beautiful story, isn't it? The beautiful story of salvation of our Savior, our beaten Savior. The candlestick was made of beaten gold. All of this was of beaten gold. Jesus was beaten for our sins. The wrath of God was placed upon him for those hours. All the way from the garden to the cross of Calvary until he breathed his last and said, It's finished. It is finished. Totilion. It is finished. And he released his spirit. And he went down into Hades, Sheol, the place of departed spirits. And he preached to those that were down there. And I'm sure those on the other side over there in hell saw the Savior. But he wasn't their savior. He was going to be their judge in the future. They looked over there and they see Jesus comforting all of those that he's going to raise from the dead. And they're going to be there dead in their sins for thousands of years after they are raised. And finally, at the great white throne judgment, they will see Jesus once more. They will see Jesus once more as their judge. And he will judge how severe hell will be for them forever. Not for a while, but forever. Our Father, we send this message out. I pray that you use it for your honor and glory. Wherever it goes in the world, I pray the souls will be saved, that somebody not want to just come along and listen to this like Jennifer did in Texas. The preacher's wife, Sunday school teacher all her life, and she had never accepted you and nor repented or called upon you to save her. Baptized and all, but not right. Father, I pray for souls out there all over the world, they'll come to know you. And those that know you will come to know you closer and, and, and appreciate your love for them. In Jesus' name I pray and please forgive me. In Jesus' name, amen.